This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mea Culpa Podcast. Republicans on Tuesday blocked the most ambitious voting rights legislation to come before Congress in a generation, dealing a blow to Democrats' attempt to counter a wave of state-level ballot restrictions that President Biden and numerous progressive figures have referred to as 21st century Jim Crow. The motion is not agreed to. Madam President. Mr. Majority Leader. Madam President, I want to be clear about what just happened on the Senate floor. Every single Senate Republican just voted against starting debate, starting debate on legislation to protect Americans' voting rights. Once again, the Senate Republican minority has launched a partisan blockade of a pressing issue here in the United States Senate. The bitter defeat went down party lines and has supercharged Democrats' desire to nuke the filibuster rather than attempt reconciliation with a party that has turned both insane and autocratic. I don't think, we we now have two Democratic senators who have declared they will not vote to change the filibuster. Senator Sinema, as as, as recently as today in the pages of the Washington Post. Uh, So really, I think what you heard was not the starting shot of a debate in this Congress about voting rights, although we'll have some more. I think this was the shot of a mobilization campaign for Democratic voters in 2022. And there are a lot of Democratic voters who feel passionately about this issue. This is going to be a rallying cry. The Republican blockade in the Senate left Democrats without a clear path forward and without a means to beat back the restrictive voting laws racing through Republican-led states. For now, it will largely be left to the Justice Department to decide whether to challenge any of the state laws in court, a time-consuming process with limited chances of success, and to a coalition of outside groups to help voters navigate the shifting rules. The bottom line is that the President and I are very clear. We support S-1. We support the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, and the fight is not over. Democrats' best remaining hope to enact legal changes rests on a long-shot bid to eliminate the legislative filibuster, which Republicans used on Tuesday to block the measure, called the For the People's Act. Seething progressive activists pointed to the Republicans' refusal to even allow a debate on the issue as a glaring example of why Democrats in the Senate must move to eliminate the rules and bypass the GOP on a range of liberal priorities while they still control Congress and the presidency. This is not dead. This is not dead. Today we're ringing the bell on round one of the, of the fight. We'll come back for round two and round three. In the fight for voting rights, this vote was the starting gun, not the finish line. We've got to address and meet the moment. I think the only way to do that and address these issues around voting rights is to get rid of the filibuster. It's a must. And if, if we're going to cut workers in on the deal, we're going to rebuild the country. We're going to meet the moment that we're in. We've got to get rid of this archaic. Uh, rule that is stopping us from making the progress we need to make. They argued that with Trump continuing to press the false claim that the election was stolen from him, a narrative that many Republicans have perpetuated as they have pushed for new voting restrictions, Democrats in Congress could not afford to allow the voting bill to languish. The people did not give Democrats the House, Senate, and White House to compromise with insurrectionists, Representative Ayanna Presley, Democrat of Massachusetts, wrote on Twitter. Abolish the filibuster so we can do the people's work. 
Liberal activists promised a well-funded summertime blitz replete with home state rallies and million-dollar ad campaigns to try to ramp up pressure on a handful of Senate Democrats opposed to changing the rules. What we saw today was uh, the American people saw one party stands up for fundamental voting rights for all Americans, and one is scared of a debate. What are they scared of? And the reason I say it's not shocking, it's, uh, you know, look at how the year started with a deadly insurrection of January 6th and just a few weeks ago uh, by not supporting an independent bipartisan commission to get to the root cause of that. Republicans clearly walked away from the notion of a peaceful transition of power, and now they're walking away from our fundamental right to vote. So yes, our democracy is on the line. Mounting frustration with Republicans could accelerate a growing rift between liberals and more moderate lawmakers over whether to try to pass a bipartisan infrastructure and jobs package or just move unilaterally on a far more ambitious plan. But key Democratic moderates who have defended the filibuster rule, led by Senators Joe Manchin III of West Virginia and Kristen Sinema of Arizona, appeared unmoved and said their leaders should try to find narrower compromises, including on voting and infrastructure bills. Democrats, 50 Democrats represent 43 million more people than the 50 Republicans do. And this is a holdover. from really the time of of enslavement. Um, Many of these senators represent places that don't have the same population while the majority of people support this legislation. So this is not a democracy. This is a minority um, that is controlling this. And, you know, uh, at the risk of making a controversial metaphor, I mean, we, we, we know what minority rule is. And there's a term for minority rule, and that's called Apartheid. We fought against that as well. The, the, this is history made tonight, Ari, on your show. It, a, 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 a minority of Americans, representing a minority of Americans, uh, is doing all it can to prevent democracy in front of the majority of people in this country voting. And we've got to do something about that. In their defeat, top Democrats appeared keen to at least claim Republicans' unwillingness to take up the bill as a political issue. They plan to use it in the weeks and months ahead to stoke enthusiasm with their progressive base by highlighting congressional Republicans' refusal to act to preserve voting rights at a time when their colleagues around the country are racing to clamp down on ballot access. Once again, Senate Republicans have signed their names in the ledger of history alongside fucking Donald Trump, the big lie, and voter suppression to their enduring disgrace, Mr. Schumer said. This vote, I'm ashamed to say, is further evidence that voter suppression has become part of the official platform of the Republican Party. I've laid out the facts for weeks. Republican state legislatures across the country are engaged in the most sweeping voter suppression in 80 years, capitalizing on and catalyzed by Donald Trump's big lie. These state governments are making it harder for younger, poorer, urban, and non-white Americans to vote. Earlier today, the Republican leader told reporters that, quote, regardless of what may be happening in some states, there's no rationale for federal intervention. The Republican leader flatly stated that no matter what the states do to undermine our democracy, voter suppression laws, phony audits, partisan takeovers of of local election boards, the Senate should not act. Democrats' bill, which passed the House in March, 
would have ushered in the largest federally mandated expansion of voting rights since the 1960s, ended the practice of partisan gerrymandering of congressional district, forced super PACs to disclose their big donors, and created a new public campaign finance system. It would have pushed back against more than a dozen Republican-led states that have enacted laws that experts say will make it harder for people of color and young people to vote or shift power over elections to GOP legislators. Other states appeared poised to follow suit, including Texas, whose Republican governor on Tuesday called a special legislative session in July when lawmakers are expected to complete work on a voting bill that Democrats temporarily blocked last month. If senators 60 years ago held that the federal government should never intervene to protect voting rights, this body would have never protected, passed the Voting Rights Act. The Republican leader uses the language and the logic of the Southern senators in the 60s who defended states' rights and it is an indefensible position. After months of partisan wrangling over the role of the federal government in elections, the outcome on Tuesday was hardly a surprise to either party. All 50 Senate Democrats voted to advance the federal legislation and open debate on the competing voting bills. All 50 fucking Republicans united to deny it, the 60 votes needed to overcome the filibuster, deriding it as a bloated federal outreach. There is no effort in any state in America to suppress uh, votes based upon uh, suppression of minority uh, participation. What this is really about is an effort for the federal government to take over the way we conduct elections in this country. It is a solution in search of a problem. Regardless of what may be happening in some state, there's no rationale for federal intervention. Both the House and Senate are still expected to vote this fall on another marquee voting bill, the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act. The bill would put teeth back into a key provision of the Voting Rights Acts of 1965 that made it harder for jurisdictions with a history of discrimination to enact voting restrictions, which was invalidated by the Supreme Court in 2013. While it does have some modest Republican support, it too appears to be likely doomed by the filibuster as well. I'm tired of talking about Mr. Manchin and Ms. Cinema. You know, we have got to do what we can to bring people together. The American people, I think all over this country, understand that now is the time to act. And I will also tell you, you know, clearly we are constrained by the fact that we only have 50 Democrats. And to my mind, what this next election is going to be about is whether the American people want us to have a government that represents all people, that believes in democracy or not. And we need a hell of a lot more Democrats in the Senate than we have right now. If you spend more than 10 seconds on Fox News in the past six months, you'll know that beyond denying the results of the election and what happened on January 6th, They're transfixed with fucking anger around critical race theory and broad concepts of wokeness. So all over the country, beginning early last June, school curricula have changed completely and become explicitly political and openly racist. And most parents have just sat there on their hands and watched it happen and watched their kids hurt by it. The Western culture and values that brought forth Christianity in the founding documents are being called evil and racist. I'm reminded of the tyranny of communist China 
where your money is legally stolen and then used in government schools to indoctrinate children against their parents. CRT, uh, like a lot of the transgender uh, ideology, is designed to divide. I'm worried that President Biden is nominating for federal office individuals who do not share a view of America as a good and decent place, who do not believe that the history of this nation is worth celebrating, nominating instead people who believe that this is a country founded in racism and shot through with corruption. Fox and the GOP are betting that by demonizing what is largely a misunderstood academic concept which posits that African Americans are largely born into a rigged society which is constructed on the foundation of systematic racism and that America's original sin, slavery, continues to reverberate outwards today with unintended but still nefarious results that manifest everywhere from our nation's public schools to the financial sector to our nation's police departments. Basically, if you're a halfway decent human being, being with an ounce of empathy, critical race theory should at least cause you to reflect on the injustices inherent within the African American community. But the Fox viewers, it has become a rallying point to oppose at all costs. On Wednesday, Florida man, cocaine enthusiast, and accused underage sex trafficker, fucking Congressman Matt Gates pointed his angry little finger at General Mark Milley, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, levying the imbecilic charge that the army had become too woke. With the GOP looking for any fucking excuse to further their culture war against wokeness, Gates and Representative Michael Waltz, Republican of Florida, blasted Miley during a House Armed Services hearing about the teaching of critical race theory to military leaders. That is not appropriate, and it is particularly concerning to me that you have hired a critical race theorist to give you advice on personnel matters, and that person is Bishop Garrison. And I would particularly observe that on July 27, 2019, Bishop Garrison tweeted regarding former President Trump, he's dragging a lot of bad actors out into the sunlight, normalizing their actions. And here's the relevant part. If you support the president, you support that. There is no room for nuance in this. There is no more, but I'm not like that talk. And then he replies to his own tweet with what seems to be a very ethno-nationalist hashtag, hashtag Black44. Could you enlighten us as to what advice Mr. Garrison has given you, and are you concerned that while you testify publicly to our committee that the department doesn't embrace critical race theory, you have hired someone who is precisely a critical race theorist? Given an opportunity to respond by Representative Christy Hollihan, Democrat of Pennsylvania, Milley offered up a passionate defense. But I do think it's important, actually, uh, for those of us in uniform to be open-minded and be widely read. And the United States Military Academy is a university. Uh, And it is important that we train and we understand. uh, And I want to understand white rage. And I'm white. And I want to understand it. So what is it that caused thousands of people to assault this building and try to overturn the Constitution of the United States of America? What caused that? I want to find that out. I want to maintain an open mind here, and I do want to analyze it. It's important that we understand that, because our soldiers, sailors, airmen, marines, and guardians, they come from the American people. So it is important that the leaders, now and in the future, 
do understand it. I've read Mao Zedong. I've read, I've read Karl Marx. I've read Lenin. That doesn't make me a communist. So what is wrong with understanding, having some situational understanding about the country for which we are here to defend? Now for the abuse of power files of Donald J. Trump comes reporting from the Daily Beast that the Donald sought to use the DOJ, the FCC, and anyone who would fucking listen to punish Saturday Night Live for their unflattering portrayal of the former president by Alec Baldwin. Former President Donald Trump, Trump yes, exactly. reportedly wanted the Justice Department to stop Saturday Night Live well, from this, making fun of him. This is normal yeah. for an American president. This is really unbelievable. Yeah. A rerun of SNL in March of 2019 sparked an angry tweet from the president asking if the Federal Election Commission should look into the show, quote, knocking him. But according to the Daily Beast, the wounded commander-in-chief took it a step Further, according to two people familiar with the matter, Trump asked advisors and lawyers in early 2019 about what the Federal Communications Commission, the court system, and most confusingly to some uh, Trump lieutenants, the Department of Justice could do to probe or mitigate SNL. Jimmy Kimmel and other late-night comedy mischief-makers. Trump often lashed out at NBC's sketch comedy show for its skits about him, one time tweeting, and I quote, It's truly incredible that shows like Saturday Night Live, not funny, no talent, can spend all of their time knocking the same person, me, over and over without so much of a mention of the other side. Well, Saturday Night Live apparently getting under President Trump's skin this weekend. President Trump tweeted, how do the networks get away with these total Republican hit jobs without retribution? Very unfair and should be looked into. This is the real collusion. So I'm going to sign these papers for emergency, and then I'll immediately be sued, and the ruling will not go in my favor, and then I'll end up in the Supreme Court, and then I'll call my buddy Kavanaugh, and I'll say it's time to repay the Donnie, and he'll say, new phone, who dis? And but then the Mueller report will be released, crumbling my house of cards, and I could just plead insanity and do a few months in the puzzle factory. And my personal hell of playing president will finally be over. As he has done before, Trump appeared to be referencing to the FCC's fairness doctrine, which required broadcasters to present balanced point of views. But the fairness doctrine was abandoned in the 1980s. Ironically, the FCC's existing equal time rule, which requires stations to give candidates equal airtime on non-news programming, forced some NBC outlets to give other GOP hopefuls airtime when Trump hosted SNL in 2015. And now, a message from the President of the United States. Thank you very much, everybody. I'm here to declare a very urgent, important national emergency. <laughs> this is a big one, so I don't want to waste any time. That's why first, I'd like to blow my own horn a little bit, okay? In a statement, the former president said, and I quote, the story that I asked the Department of Justice to go after ratings challenged without Trump, Saturday Night Live, and other late night losers is total fake news. 
It was fabricated. There were no sources. And yet, the lamestream media goes with it. Trump also blasted Alec Baldwin as having no talent, certainly when it comes to imitating me. Well, trust me, it may seem like what's coming out of my mouth is B-A-N-A-N-A-N-A-S, but (laughs) it's all part of the plan. The more chaos I cause, the less people can focus. They're all getting so tired. So tired. Let me show you. How long ago did I declare war on North Korea and Little Rocket Man? Uh, four months. Wrong. It was last Friday. See, I'm bending time. <laughs> so let's keep the chaos coming and shake things up around here. Speaking of shaking things up, get Jeff Sessions in here. The one who had what it looked like was Daryl Hammond. Trump also said that the late night shows were one-sided and should be considered an illegal campaign contribution from the Democratic Party. Capitalizing on the attention that the Saturday Night Live story is getting, Trump also reiterated his unfounded claims of election fraud and added the phrase 2024 or before. And now for the main event. My next guest on Mea Culpa has been gleefully tweaking the GOP while setting fire to their authoritarian agenda since the early days of the Trump administration. A lifelong conservative turned never Trumper in 2016, Setmeyer regularly appears on CNN's primetime programs and contributes to ABC's The View, Good Morning America, and Nightline. Prior to joining ABC, Tara became a household name for her no-nonsense commentary as a political commentator during the 2016 presidential election cycle, where Vulture.com recognized her as one of the top 20 election coverage stars on TV. In 2017, she was named as the board director for Stand Up Republic, a nonprofit organization formed in the wake of the 2016 election of Donald Trump to unite Americans behind the defense of democratic norms, ideals, and institutions. Sedmeyer was also named a 2020 Harvard Institute for Politics resident fellow. Nowadays, she is the co-host of the Lincoln Project's streaming talk show, The Breakdown, alongside Rick Wilson. Sedmeyer joins Maya Culpa in the midst of an unprecedented GOP attempt to whitewash the January 6th insurrection and wrap their arms around an obviously insane and dictatorial former president. For both of us, the final straw might very well be these individual refusals to reward or even shake the hands of law enforcement who protected them from the rioters on January 6th. We're both beyond angry and beyond thinking that there's any fucking hope for a solution beyond just torching the GOP. So strap yourselves in, folks. This episode is a doozy. And let's listen now to that conversation. So yesterday on CNN, in reference to the recently released footage of the January 6th riot that shows a Capitol Police officer being tased and beaten before a group of MAGA rioters, you expressed disbelief at the ability of certain lawmakers in the GOP to continue to deny what happened that day. Now, you refer to this as the, and I quote, malignancy of Trumpism which is, in my view, has grown completely out of control. 
Now, I know I keep asking the same question, but how do we make this all stop? And how do you force half the government to accept reality and abandon what is so corrosive to democracy? Oh, man, Michael, if I had the answer to that question, um, I'd be on a private island somewhere enjoying life with adult beverages with my husband. I don't know what the answer is to this, which has been part of what's made me so just perplexed about everything that's happened over the last five years under Trump. It's like, what the fuck happened to these people and their brains? I worked in the Republican Party for 27 years since I was 18 years old at a very high level. Um, from, you know, Congress all the way down to mayoral campaigns. And a lot of these people I worked with over the years, I've had interactions with them, and they seemed like reasonable people. But then Trump came along, and they all lost their freaking minds. And I look at this situation, and I could not believe how Orwellian it all became. I went back and reread 1984 a couple of years ago, because I was watching what was happening. And I was like, you know, you, they're telling us not to believe what we actually see with our own eyes and what we hear with our own ears, which is straight out of Orwell, straight out of 1984. And when, as Trump continued to do things like that, and then I expect that from him, but then the enablers are the ones who are the worst ones. So when you have something like January 6th, I mean, there were a myriad of other examples of where this happened, but January 6th was on display for the entire world to see with an un limited amount of video going on where we were watching it play out in real time. And over the last few weeks, we've seen more and more videos come out because of the court filings, body cameras and, you know, people using their cell phones because they were a bunch of idiots filming it as they were doing it. And we're really seeing what happened there. It's indisputable. And yet you have all of these Republican politicians who are so shameless, so craven, so cowardly that they would rather gaslight the American people and tell them not to believe what they see and what they hear in order to placate Donald Trump. And I wonder to myself often, do they actually believe this? Like how much of the bullshit do they actually believe? And for a long time, I thought they're just going along because they don't want to piss Trump off and they want to get reelected. But some of these people, this new crop that has come in, I think some of them actually believe it or they've convinced themselves they have to believe it. And that's the scariest part about this. So what do we do? What do we do with these people? Well, they're elected officials. So the only way to get rid of them is for them to pay a price at the ballot box. The American people have to vote them out. I have to believe there's more of us sane people than there are of them. That's the only way to do it in a democracy. Well, how do you then rationalize a recent poll that just came out that showed that 60% of GOP supporters do not believe that it was an insurrection at all. And yet, I'm going to use your words. We saw it with our own fucking eyes. Yeah. We heard the screaming of police officers trapped in doors, being beaten, bear sprayed. We know for a fact that there were individuals there who had zip ties, others who came with firearm, uh, with multiple firearms and, and other explosive devices. And yet, 60% of the GOP still refuses to acknowledge and recognize what it was. 
Michael, it was Antifa. What are you talking about? Of course, it was Antifa that did it. It was Black Lives Matter. Right, it was Black Lives Matter. Oh, wait a minute. There were no black people there. Um, It was uh, the FBI. It was FBI agents. I mean, it is the absurdity of all of the conspiracy theories that they're throwing out there to just whitewash what actually happened. It's laughable. But to your point, you have 60% of Republicans, which is not a small number, um, that actually think, well, it wasn't a big deal. You had jerk offs like Andy Clyde, this this congressman from Georgia, who actually said in a congressional hearing that it was no different than a regular tourist day. Oh, if you didn't know, you would think it was a regular tourist day. Are you kidding me? I worked on Capitol Hill for seven years. I know what regular tourist days look like, and it sure as hell wasn't that. So these people, they, you know, what do we do with them? What has happened? This is the this is a prime example. And I would encourage folks to uh, read my good friend Jennifer Mershia's book, Demagogue for President. She's a rhetorical uh, uh, expert, communications expert, and talks about the power of propaganda and rhetoric. And she, when you read her book and you look at all of the different techniques, Donald Trump and what he's done ticks off every box. This is the power of propaganda. When you repeat something over and over again, you take advantage of low information voters who are getting their information from one or two sources, but an echo chamber of what they already believe, a.k.a. Fox News and Newsmax or talk radio. It just reinforces what they already think. They don't get they, they're unwilling to listen to actually anything outside of that. So if they hear that over and over again and that's all they know, they don't have the benefit of being in Washington or knowing folks that actually do this every day. Most people don't. They're average Americans. They don't they don't know inside the Beltway stuff. They start to believe it. This is the problem. Fox News and what Rupert Murdoch has done with his uh, media properties is so traitorous and irresponsible and dangerous. This is what happens. They've created a group of people who no longer believe in fact, who no longer believe in what they see in front of them because it's been manipulated. And this is what happens. There's a reason why in the Bible it says the road to destruction is wide. Yeah, well, this is a very Stalinistic approach that Donald Trump has taken on. And now others like Clyde, Representative Clyde, has followed. If you repeat something over and over again, and then over and over again, people start to believe it as fact. And that's exactly what Donald Trump would do, whether it's denigrating somebody with coming up with the names like, um, you know, low energy Jeb. I mean, mm-hmm. Jeb Bush to this day cannot go anywhere without whether you're Republican or Democrat, people looking at him as low energy. It's just why? Because Donald Trump branded him. Right. Like he branded some of his shit stakes in his Trump University. (laughs) I mean, that's what he did. Even Lion Ted, even though Ted Cruz is now kissing Donald's ass, it doesn't matter. When you see him on television, the first thing that comes to your mind is Lion Ted, Crooked Hillary, you know, Little Marco. I mean, look at what he has done to people. Why? Because, again, It's over and over and over, repetition, over and over and over, until it's like the McDonald's jingle. You can't get it out of your head, and that's all that you're thinking about. Now, i got to ask you this question. This Representative Clyde, is he the same fucknut who who stated that all of these insurrectionists stayed within the stanchion, or was that another moron? No, that was him because he was making the uh, he was using that as an example to explain that it's no different than a tourist day. Yeah. And but he's also the same one 
where there's a photograph of him barricading the door in the House chamber that day in real time. So I don't know anyone that on a regular tourist day that's ever barricaded the House chamber when tourists have come by. I remember the big scandal a few years ago when Harry Reid made a comment about the smelly tourists in the summer. And he caught a lot of shit for that. Um, but this is a little bit different. You got to be kidding me. He's not the only one, though. You've got this this another one, this Paul Gosar, who tr- who's calling these people patriots and um, claiming that Ashley Babbitt, who was the woman who tried to break through the final door to get to the hallway of the speaker's hallway while this whole thing was going on and was shot and killed. And they're calling her they're calling it an execution. You know, why won't they release the name of this police officer who executed Ashley Babbitt? First of all, she wasn't executed. She was shot in defense of our capital. There was a a violent riot going on in an attempt to overturn a free and fair election, to interrupt our democratic process. That Capitol Police officer is a hero. He was the last line of defense. And it's unfortunate that woman lost her life, but she made the choice to break into the Capitol, to break into um, the speaker's lobby. And that police officer, that Capitol police officer did his brave duty. That's the oath of office he swore to take was to protect the Constitution and protect the members of Congress in that building. And the reason why they're not releasing his his name is because the Capitol police operate under a different set of rules than other regular local police departments. First of all, they're federal. Secondly, because of the threats to their lives, they're protected. So you have to go through a a different process in order for a police officer's um, name to be released that's involved in a shooting. And we already know that there were some rumors about who it might be. And there were threats against this guy's life. Him and his family had to go into hiding. So there are reasons why. And Tucker Carlson and all these, you know, these congressmen and all these people who claim to back the blue and they're all pro-police and blue lives matter. That's a bunch of fucking shit. I come from a law enforcement family. I bleed blue. My grandfather was a police captain in my hometown for 40 years. My husband is a federal law enforcement officer for 20 years. I'm very, very supportive of law enforcement. And oftentimes I I get into a lot of arguments with some of my Black Lives Matter friends about police shootings and things like that because I just have a different perspective on it. Um, but in this instance, I don't want to hear any of these Republicans ever again talk about Blue Lives Matter. They back the blue and they're so pro-police. No, they're not. No, they're not because they're throwing them under the bus and they're using Russian, excuse me, propaganda to do it. Vladimir Putin himself during his press conference in Geneva repeated back to a law enforcement, uh, repeated back to a, to a reporter, the same language that Tucker Carlson and these right wing people are using to describe what happened. Oh, the police officer who killed that young woman who was just there at the Capitol that day, who walked into the Capitol. This is unbelievable. So not only is this bad for what we see here in America and what's going on domestically, but we are handing a gift to Vladimir Putin and our enemies abroad. They are using this right back on us in an active measures campaign to help America destroy itself from within. It's you know, terrible. One thing, yeah, one thing we do have to both acknowledge is I was actually surprised, and I think it's fortunate that more people didn't lose their lives on January 6th, more police officers. Interestingly, when you see some of the people that were out there, now I don't believe everybody there's intent was to overthrow the government. You know, people people are fucked up. 
Everybody right. wants an Instagram moment. They want to be able to tweet out, hey, I was here at, you know, at the January 6th, you know, march on the Capitol. And that they're, they're there, you know, just have something to post. Right. They got now, caught up. They got caught up. But there's just too many of them that went there for the sole purpose of stopping the electoral process in stopping Congress from doing what they're obligated to do. And we, I, I believe as a country, we were very fortunate that more people didn't lose their lives, especially police officers. According to a recent study, 330 million people became victims of cybercrime and another 55 million had their identity stolen. Hell, I had mine stolen twice. This can cost victims money, but it also takes up a lot of the victims' time. Cybercrime victims collectively spent almost 2.7 billion hours trying to resolve their issues. Your private information is more exposed now than ever. This could leave you vulnerable to cyber threats. The all-in-one protection of Norton 360 with LifeLock makes it easy to have protection in the digital world. Device security blocks cyber criminals from stealing personal information. VPN with bank-grade encryption helps keep information you send over Wi-Fi safe. LifeLock Identity Theft Protection monitors your personal information and alerts you to potential threats. Now, no one can prevent all cybercrime and identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses. But if you have Norton 360 with LifeLock as I do, you can opt into cyber safety. So sign up today and save 25% or more off your first year by going to Norton.com slash Cohen. That's 25% off Norton 360 with LifeLock at Norton.com slash Cohen. Now, there's all of this talk, and this is one of the things that bothers me. We talked about it on your LPTV, on the Lincoln Project television. It's what really pisses me off. I don't understand why people won't acknowledge, why we cannot get, like, Merrick Garland to open up an investigation. Everything should become open. All the information should become open. There's so much back and forth there are so many back and forth statements that that don't they just don't add up. Nothing is being corroborated. It's all based upon people's opinion. When there are actually facts, there are documents that are there. The problem is you just can't get your hands on them. That's true. And that's why many of us have been calling for a 9-11 style January 6th commission. Because it's more there's more involved that a commission can do that a criminal proceeding or an inspector's general report cannot get or obtain. For example, we may find out in the criminal court, which we're seeing with these hundreds of people who have been charged, right? We're seeing these court filings come in en masse with all types of information. But the idea there is to prove a case in criminal court. You're a lawyer. You know how that goes. You don't necessarily ask who knew what and when, because that may not be criminal. Whether Donald Trump instructed the National Guard, uh, you know, the Pentagon to stand down or to t- or he told Mark Meadows to tell them, to, I don't want them doing anything because they're not Trump supporters. That's not going to come out in a criminal proceeding because that's not necessarily a criminal act. This is these are things that we would find out in a January 6th commission. We would get a full timeline of who said what and when they would have subpoena power and they would be able to get these documents. You don't necessarily get that in a criminal court. 
You may not also get that with uh, congressional investigations because each one of these agencies, they have different jurisdictions. So the inspector general's report that came out from the Department of Interior about the park police, for example, at the Lafayette Square incident, that's just one narrow area because the, the Secret Service isn't under that department, so that inspector general doesn't have secret, uh, doesn't have jurisdiction for them. The National Guard's are under that department. They're under the Pentagon. It's different inspector general. So if you have a commission, all of these jurisdictional um, uh, obstacles go away because the commission has certain powers in order to bring everything together and you can look at it. The reason why Republicans don't want this is because they don't want to be exposed for how complicit some of the members of Congress were because we know we have some suspicion that some congressmen were coordinating with these insurrectionists. That's not necessarily criminal. We don't know. Maybe. But a commission would get to the bottom of that. But Congress, they, Republicans don't want to face that reality because they may actually have to be faced to, like, expel members from Congress for, for engaging in that behavior. Because there's things that could do that. It would qualify. They also don't want any of this bleeding into the midterms because they don't want it front and center in the American people's minds, what happened that day and what they enabled. They were part of this, all because of Donald Trump's big lie. So there's, you know, Merrick Garland has a certain amount of power where there are things that they could do, but they really, they're limited if they don't do a commission because there's still parameters within the Justice Department they would have to follow. And I know that the, and I think this is a mistake on the part of the Biden administration by not putting more emphasis on this, because if you if the American people forget the seriousness of this, then you can't really have people pay a price for it. Imagine if we approach 9-11 this way. We never would have. And it's just as serious, if not more so. If not more so. And the saddest part is this is now a blueprint for the next, as I always call them, Donald Trump 2.0 in order to do a playbook. Uh, you're going to now have these insurrectionists, if they want to do it again, they now have at least a baseline within which to And it's dangerous. Sarah Kenzier, I don't know if you're familiar with her. She does Gaslit Nation. Um, she's written a couple books. She said that a failed coup is just a dress rehearsal. That's exactly. <laughs> you know? And that's what we're looking at. That was a failure. What are they going to do next? They, if you look at the court filings and you see, we talked about how not everybody there was there to necessarily storm the Capitol and like, you know, interrupt the, the proceedings. But there were enough of them that were coordinated, armed and ready to do that. And there's court filings that we see every day that talk to this, that speak to this with evidence of it, with the communications, with the photographs they found. These guys were there to violently overthrow our government, and they did it in the name of Donald Trump, and they did it because they, he told them that was the patriotic thing to do. That is insane and dangerous, and it's spreading, and we have to squash this. We have to. Agreed. Now, in response to a recent Associated Press article reporting on the exodus of local election officials in battleground states who have quit or retired after 2020, only to be replaced by partisan, conspiracy-minded actors bent on doing harm. Now, you wrote the following, and I quote, Another tactic that contributes to the authoritarian slow burn that undermines our democratic institutions. Intimidate the honest public servants until they are replaced with the bad actors. If you would, unpack for my listeners what these tactics are and how it connects to a, um, to a larger strategy of flipping the House and Senate in 2022 midterms. So I'm glad you brought that up because 
this is another area that I think the average American doesn't necessarily pay attention to because news has become so nationalized that oftentimes we don't see what's going on in our state and local governments. And just in general, <laughs> people are, there's less participation in state and lo local government elections and issues because we're losing our state and local newspapers that, you know, this has been tough with social media and the, and the news environment. A lot of local newspapers are folding or they're being taken over by larger, uh, larger groups. So there's less and less good local reporting. And that's how most people get their news. I mean, I grew up with my grandfather going out to get the paper every day, right? We had the Bergen record where I'm from in Paramus, New Jersey. And every day it was like a ritual. I'd go get the paper for my grandfather. And after he passed, we continued to get the paper because it kind of kept, kept us close to him. It was like a little bit of a tradition to get a hard paper, even though, you know, we do everything online now. We're having less and less of that. And so people, when you don't pay attention, a lot of things happen under your nose. And next thing you know, you turn around and go, how the hell did that happen? Well, that's what's going on now. These people, particularly Republicans, are very, very good at get out the vote efforts with grassroots organizing, with starting things on the state and local level, and basically doing them in plain sight. And when people start to pay attention, by then it's too late. So they're starting to employ these tactics by intimidating these good local public, public servants who aren't used to this level of vitriol. They're not used to death threats. I mean, you know, Mrs. Johnson, who was on the city council for 20 years, or, you know, the, the county recorder who has a, basically a mundane job of just making sure the administrative, uh, the administration of, of elections is, it runs smoothly. They're not used to these mobs of people intimidating them and screaming at them and coming to these town meetings and, you know, making a ruckus and then threatening them or protesting their offices or finding their home addresses. Like, they're not used to this. So they're like, the hell with this? What do I need this for? And their families, on top of that, you know, when your family starts, sometimes you can say, well, I made this choice. But when you are a public servant, your family is in it too. It's not fair. But they know intimidation can work. And the more that they do that, it becomes the, and the more that the people, you know, voters are okay with it and they don't make up, they don't punish them. There's no consequence for it. It's what Ann Applebaum call, calls the seductive lore of authoritarianism. It becomes more normalized. So these authoritarian intimidation tactics don't seem so abnormal anymore. That is, none of this is normal. Rick Wilson and I talk about this all the time. None of this is normal. So the, the, the way you stop this is you have to get more people involved in what's going on in their states and in their localities. Because like I said, there are more of us than them. But when they are more active and more vocal, the, those, the crazies get the attention. The average American has got to pay attention and they have to get involved now. You cannot afford to be passive anymore. Well, that's why I'm still waiting for government to get involved with Matt Gates, you know, who threatened me and my Ugh. family the day before my House Oversight Committee. I remember you know, it's that. not just people who work for government. There's also a series of individuals like myself who have been threatened and intimidated. People have gone after them, not just me, but my family. And you're right. After a while, you turn around and you say, fuck it. I, mm -hmm. I got myself into this. This has nothing to do with, with my family. This has nothing to do with friends. And instead, you know, um, 
Sometimes you walk away from it. I, on the other hand, I refuse to walk away. I mean, everybody, I have so many friends that ask me, why are you still even working with the DA? Why are you still working with the attorney general? Right? They've done nothing for you. You've done over 400 hours of meetings to provide them with all of the information. That's basically these 12 or 13 different legal matters that Trump is in now. They've done shit for you. I still have now exactly to this day five more months of home confinement. What have I gotten? Everyone's oh, you know, you were trying to get a benefit. You were trying to get a lower sentence. I got 36 months because the president got his pecker pulled by a porn star and asked <laughs> me in order to pay, you know, to pay her for it. That's really the truth. The rest yeah. of it is a bunch of bullshit. But I, too, want to say, Tara, I, too, support blue. I, I, I really do. And, you know, while there are some bad actors, you know, there are bad actors in every industry. Sure. But for the most part, the bulk of these individuals are good, decent, hardworking people that want to just do their job and to ensure that we're all safe. And we talked about this Agreed. on your show, on Lincoln Project, because this really angers me. What do you make of these GOP congressmen, like that fucknut Andrew Clyde, right, who have gone so far as to refuse to vote for Capitol Police officers and other law enforcement present at uh, the day to receive the Congressional Gold Medal uh, there on January 6th? Because then Clyde takes it further and refuses to even shake the hand of Officer Michael Fanone, who was badly attacked protecting the Capitol, thereby protecting him. Now, I'm curious how they can even remotely think that this is good politics. I mean, these guys wrap themselves in the Blue Lives Matter flag, then they pull a stunt like this. Have they just painted themselves into a corner where, let's say, they just can't acknowledge the heroes of January 6th because they already have stated that nothing happened? Is that the issue? All of that. It's all of the above, Michael. And, you know, <laughs> the, I never in my life would have thought that Republicans would ever pull something like this when it comes to our police officers. I, it, again, it shows you the malignancy of what has gone on here, that now the police are the enemies. The police officers who literally saved their asses that day they were running for their lives, putting on gas masks in a panic. You know, they they were it was absolute chaos there. Their lives were literally at stake because you can't tell me that if any of those rioters had busted through the line while the members of Congress were still in session or if they caught them in the hallway, that they wouldn't have, um, you know, beaten them or, or killed them, God forbid, not caring whether they were a Democrat or Republican. They were out for blood that day. I mean, for fuck's sake, they were chanting, hang Mike Pence, the vice president of the United States, who was loyal, sickingling. He was a sick loyalist to, to Donald Trump in ways that were just unfathomable and hard to stomach. But even he wasn't good enough. He Even he was, was uh, you know, on the chopping block for these crazies that day. So because you, Trump because Trump put him on the chopping correct. block. Absolutely. And as you know, that no one is safe when it comes to Donald Trump. It doesn't matter how loyal you are. It doesn't matter how much you stick, you know, kiss his ass or get on your knees for him. It doesn't matter. And that was a perfect example of that. And yet all of these Republicans continue to still prop him up and give him uh, the time of day. Even after that insurrection, it's just it's sickening. But this 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 interaction with Officer Fanone, who is a hero by every sense. And I applaud him for continuing to speak out 
to defend not only his fellow officers, but also to everybody else that helped that day and, you know, his own family and just America in general to bring attention to what really went on. I mean, you had 140 officers that were hurt that day, some very seriously hurt. He was almost killed. He had to survive an attack where these crazies said, kill him with his own gun, where he literally had to beg for his life. And if you've ever seen Officer Fanon, that's not a guy that looks like he's any kind of a punk to me. Okay. And he was over overtaken by these guys and they and stunned to death and uh, almost stunned to death and suffered a heart attack. I mean, it, it is awful what these guys went through. And Andrew Clyde can't even give him the respect to shake his hand. That is so unconscionable. If I ever saw any of these guys, um, it would take everything in me not to say what you would say to Donald Trump the first time you'd see him again, which is fuck you. Fuck all of you. How dare you you sons of bitches like the every ounce of jersey in me would come out because i i just see a certain i just you know the idea that they would be so disrespectful of people who put their lives on the line to save them what a bunch of ungrateful motherfuckers well tara i gotta tell you you took the words out of my mouth i'm i'm actually i've I've actually more into you now than ever before you you speak my language girl i'll tell you that you know and i'm gonna tell you since we're since we're on this what really pisses me off is the fact that the biden administration are allowing these fucking assholes to get away with it it's wrong they're heroes you said it perfectly it Every sense of the word. Why doesn't Biden just turn around and create a medal like the Presidential Medal of Honor and give it to him? He doesn't need anyone's fucking permission to create a medal to give out the Presidential Medal of Honor. And each and every one of these police officers should not only be, you know, awarded that medal, they should be saluted. They should be honored for what they did, because Unless you've ever been in a situation where it's like a wolf pack, it's 10 on mm-hmm. one. But in this case, it's 100 on one. I don't care if Fanon had an AR-15 on him. It would make no difference if he had That's an right. Uzi machine gun right, or a Tommy gun. It would make no difference. Yeah, you'll take some out, but then they're going to just jump on top of you. This That's was, right. This was a wolf pack, and there was nothing he could do right, other than to beg for his life and Thank God he is alive, and he's not mm-hmm. entitled to some medal for his heroism. The fuck is wrong with these people? I know it. It is. It makes my blood boil. I, I, you know, there have been a lot of moments where I've felt like that, um, but this was one of those particular moments where I just, I, I just was so disgusted by them, and thinking, how, how is it that that's okay? How are their constituents back home okay with this? What if they had treated their local police department like that? You know, and I don't understand the Democrats' reluctance to drive this point home. They could wrestle this narrative away from Republicans about being pro-police and pro-law enforcement. They could they have the moral high ground now. It's so frustrating. I'm not a Democrat. I never will be. I, you know, with all due respect to my Democratic friends, I just have too many fundamental disagreements with their approach to things and their view on government. So I am an independent now. I quit the Republican Party because I, I couldn't deal with it, deal with it anymore. Finally, I said, that's it. I'm, well, you, I'm didn't want to, you didn't want to deal with the everyday uh, <laughs> Ronna Romney McDaniel uh, text messages or the Brad Parscale or the Don Jr. Eric Trump, you know, uh, grifting text messages. Hey, help support my dad. 
Yeah, I know that. And, you know, let's go down. We can go down the list of of all of the transgressions of these of these jerk offs. But um, I thought that I would, you know, hang around to see if they were repudiated and be a part of the solution to rebuild the Republican Party back to something respectable. But that became clear that that was not an option after the way they handled the election fraud and all of that. I said, OK, they're irredeemable at this point. So the the, the whole idea here that these people um, will not be honored by Congress, but then Biden could do it. That's true. We're, I don't understand why Democrats don't take a stronger stance here on this. And this is part of the frustration that we as former Republicans who were on the other side, who did well, I'm campaign so sorry. Against- when you say we as former, you know, I've never been a Republican in my life until yeah. until Steve Wynn forced me to change because I was the finance <laughs> chair. I was the right. vice, uh, of, uh, I vice chair of the finance committee for the RNC. But when I first started, I was a registered Democrat, and they were like, listen, you can't do it. But I, I worked for Congressman Joe Moakley in 1987 and 88, and yeah. you know, that's going back you know, quite yeah. a bit. So I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, I interrupted No, no, no. You. When I say we, I mean like myself and others who were anti-Trumpers, you know, the, the kind of never Trump um, group of us from the very beginning, and then obviously um, the, those of us at the Lincoln Project, like we we know how to fight against Democrats, which is what made what the Lincoln Project did so successful, because we know the playbook. And we're like, we are pleading with our Democratic friends, please listen to us. <laughs> you know, this is how you fight back messaging wise against these people. But it's, it, you know, habits are hard to break. But I, Joe Biden could do that. And I wish that he would, frankly. And if I were him, I would wait until hmm, maybe sometime in the midterms to do it. Because then it brings it back into the public discussion and people will realize, well, what do you mean that Republicans refuse to give these guys, you know, a congressional medal? Um, I think that Biden is just he doesn't want to be seen as being too partisan so early in his in his presidency. This is just the politics of it. I think that there's a, a fine line because he doesn't want to look like he's being retaliatory because he has other things that he needs to accomplish. So he's weighing his political capital. But I think if he's too passive on this, they lose a huge opportunity for the country to really rally behind how dysfunctional the Republicans are and how dangerous they are. Because if people don't understand that, they're not going to make the connection. So we have to continue to kind of beat this drum that this was literally an attack on our democracy and that our our government was half a step away from being overtaken by insurrectionists. It was the first time we didn't have a peaceful transfer of power since 1800. Yeah, something that I warned the country about during my House Oversight Committee hearing. And if they really want to know how to beat Trump and Trumpism, how to get him off of message, I know because I was the guy who was helping to make his message. So, you know, at least you're using your at least you're using your your talents for good now. I was very critical of you back in the day, of course. Yes, you were. were. And, you know, fair, fair enough. You'll admit it. You know, you deserved it. But at least now, you know, you because and that's what makes you someone like you and what you're doing so important. And I'm glad that you've done that. You know, I think it's part of your road to redemption and good for you. Well, thank you. This episode is sponsored by Blue Chew. Say it with us. Blue Chew. Blue Chew is making waves and bringing more confidence to the bedroom by offering chewable tablets that can help men get stronger and longer-lasting erections. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable form and at a fraction of the cost. 
Bluetooth's tablet helped men achieve harder, stronger erections to combat all forms of erectile dysfunction. Blue Chew is an online prescription service, so no visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, and no waiting in line at the pharmacy. And it ships right to your door in a discreet package. The process is simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. The best part? It's all done online. Blue Chew's licensed medical providers work with you to find the right ingredient and strength for your prescription. Don't like swallowing pills? No problem here. Blue Chew's Sildenafil and Tadalafil tablets are chewable. Blue Chew's tablets are made in the United States of America, and they prepare and ship direct, so it's cheaper than a pharmacy. So if you could benefit from extra confidence when it's time to perform, visit BlueChew.com for more details and important safety information. And here's a special deal for our listeners. Try BlueChew free when you use your promo code COIN at checkout. Just pay $5 in shipping. That's BlueChew.com promo code COIN to receive your first month free. And we thank BlueChew for sponsoring this podcast. You know, going back to this Andrew Clyde for one second, because I also brought up the fact that some groups of individuals, they showed up there armed and mm-hmm. they weren't just armed with bear spray and with zip ties. They were, they were armed with, you know, with firearms. And, you know, what have you heard about the presence of guns and other deadly weapons that day? Because it's another thing that Americans, specifically GOP sycophants, Trump sycophants, do not want to acknowledge. And how Andrew Clyde can make a stupid statement that they were just there, you know, to enjoy the day and to, um, it was peaceful, the whole bit. It really, it's, it's not even that it, it gets my, my, my goal, right? It's, it's so fucking, it's, it's beyond. I don't even have words to describe just how infuriating it is when you have somebody who is an elected official sitting there and lying to you to your face. When people show up to the Capitol, it is illegal with firearms. It is illegal to enter the Capitol in the manner that they did. It is illegal. So why is it that this fucking asshole... This Andrew Clyde has the right to even go on television. Where are all of the Democrats to censor, you know, to censor him? Where are they, you know, for a reprimand? Why don't they throw his ass out of Congress like the way that they did to Al Franken, who slapped a woman in the ass? I know. I mean, let's, let's let's be serious. Now, I'm not saying what Al Franken did was right. right. All right, right, right. We're, but, just, we're putting I, but, it in perspective. But if I have to put it into perspective on a line of zero being the lowest, 10 being the, the highest, you don't really think that Al Franken's act comes anywhere near what, what happened here that day. No, that's, I mean, that's true. And even, I mean, even Democrats were, uh, I think, had some remorse about the way they handled the knee jerk reaction to the Al Franken situation, however you felt about it, um, that they took it a little bit too far. Uh, it's overcompensating. Um, but in this instance, you know, it's difficult to it's difficult to censure people in Congress for for certain opinions and speech as crazy as it seems to us. It's uh, like, you know, members of Congress don't like to retaliate against one another unless it's like really, 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 really egregious. And in our minds, that seems really egregious. But that's his opinion. 
versus something like Marjorie Taylor Greene and making the comparisons to the Holocaust and, you know, the Jewish space lasers and QAnon stuff and possibly her involvement in um, with some of the insurrectionists that day, her and Boebert and some others tweeting out locations of Nancy Pelosi has been reported, things like that. Now, that kind of shit is, you know, warrants being kicked out of Congress and censured. I mean, they it, it took everything in them to to remove Marjorie Taylor Greene from her committee assignments. That should have been a no brainer. I mean, John Boehner removed a member from the from his agriculture committee assignment because he kept voting against the ag bill. So, I mean, like, you know, there are ways to do things that are that have happened in the past. But Democrats are reluctant to use the rules available to them. Republicans use every rule available to them when they were in power in the majority. And they will again, which is why they cannot uh, they cannot get power back in the House or the Senate. It would be an absolute disaster. And the first thing they would do was try to impeach Joe Biden. They would make a mockery of this. They had no interest in governing. So we can't let these people, you know, the Andrew Clydes and others, they could get committee chairmanships again. Like when you're in power in the majority, there's a lot that you can do. So, you know, people are horrified by these people. You may not be able to vote them out of office if you don't live in their district, but you damn sure make, can make sure that the Democrats don't um, lose the House of Representatives um, because there's only a couple of seats. And so if you don't want to see these people back in power, you've got to stay involved. If you're able to help out in other districts or send money, do that. But please, please be involved because if you don't, if you if they don't pay a price, the only thing that these people listen to is the threat of loss of their power. That's the only thing they respond to. They are shameless. It's not about doing the right thing anymore. It's not about the patriotic thing because they've perverted what it means to be a patriot. This is nuts. And we were talking about, you know, bringing the violent um, weapons into the Capitol. Ask your buddy Corey Lewandowski what happens when you go through a metal detector with a gun. (laughs) Okay, and that wasn't that was not during a violent insurrection. He was just being a dumbass. And so they don't play around with that. There are, which is, I guess, all the time for him, that <laughs> Lewandowski. I have to say that when you wrote about him in your book, about how he was just like a, a, a lifeguard in training at a marina or some shit, and he tries to act like he was a police officer, I had to laugh because I knew he was a wannabe. I used to have to sit next to him on on panels at CNN. And I, I used to just, I, I just wanted to be like, you're so, no, you're not fooling anyone. Like we see right through you, dude. You're such a wannabe. No, that's anyway. exactly what, he, that's exactly what he was. He was Loser. a guy at the docks that had to make sure that boats had enough life preservers in the vessel uh, before that they took off. Otherwise he'd write you a citation. I mean, Ooh. and obviously, you know, exactly. I know he got <laughs> tossed out of one of the Coke um, super packs, you know, for, for stealing. He's a scumbag, you know, yeah, and, and him and, and the other, the, the so other, many. And it's, so many. It's, it's just terrible. So, no. you know, mo- oh, but just to finish your, just to finish the answer to that question, I kind of went around about, uh, about it though. There are, I keep referring to the court filings because there are dozens upon dozens that come out every day that a lot of intrepid reporters are following closely of these cases of these people that are, that have been caught, arrested, that are going through the, um, the criminal court system that it shows that the government shows the evidence that they've acquired because some of them are whining that they can't go to like their classic car show or they, you know, they're stuck in jail because they can't make bail. And, you know, they're just harmless people who are just happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. We all know that's a bunch of bullshit. So these court filings are very, very instructive. And I would encourage folks to follow my good friend. He used to, he used to work on the Hill, became a reporter. His name is Scott McFarlane. 
and he's a reporter for NBC here in D.C. And he also goes on MSNBC occasionally to give reports. But he has been dedicating his life for the last couple of months to following these court filings. And if you have Twitter, follow him um, at McFarland on Twitter. He is he the things that he posts like he's doing all the work that you know, we can't, we don't have the time to do. And some of the photographs and the evidence that they're showing of weapons that were confiscated or what they intended to do is really, really scary. Like you said, it, it's, it's um, nothing short of a miracle that more people didn't die that day. That could it, have was been a, it was a small, it was a small paramilitary army and yes. Trump could not have been happier to nope. watch it from his television sets, seeing the MAGA hats, the MAGA flags, the Trump 2020 flags, you name it. And so on. And to all these guys that are sitting there in prison, I hope they have the ability to listen to me. I'm not crying for you, Right. Crying you, it's just, I, I could care less. You should sit there and rot. You and the rest mm-hmm. of these bunch of fucking insurrectionists that think that, people don't realize how close we were to losing our democracy. And that's I the know. scary part. So yes, I do encourage them to go to McFarland's site. But moving on, because we talked about this a little bit with Fox. Tucker Carlson's recent assertion that the FBI now was behind the January 6th. Uh, insurrection. It raises all of these right-wing conspiracy mongering to absurd heights. That said, it spread rapidly throughout their media channels in a matter of days, because that's how Fox works. They have all of these various different stations that feed off of one another. Now, I'm curious if you see some sort of a connection between hosts like Carlson at the top of the right-wing media food chain and then these bottom-feeding bloggers like Revolver News, who started this nonsense as something more coordinated within the, um, within the GOP to whitewash what happened on January 6th. It's definitely coordinated. And I think that's something that a lot of the mainstream media and Democrats underestimated. I can tell you this because I was part of the conservative media ecosystem for two decades and not really realizing how nefarious it all was. Because from my point of view, as a conservative, I was like, that's right, that's that liberal media. We we need to be able to get our story out and our point of view out unfiltered without the, the spin of the liberal media. I was caught up in that, too, for a very long time. And then I realized when Donald Trump came into the into the political fray in 2015, that that was all bullshit (laughs) and that it became I mean, there was some liberal bias in the media. Okay, fine. But nothing compared to what we saw going on on the other side with just putting out misinformation, just actively putting out misinformation to feed a narrative. Roger Ailes was an evil genius at doing this. And it's very easy for people to get caught up in it because he he the formula he used was all about emotion. And so he knew what buttons to push. So the programming at Fox, which set the standard between Fox and Rush Limbaugh and Sean Hannity on talk radio. Then you had Levin and Glenn Beck and others that all you know took their marching orders basically from Rush and Fox News, they were all coordinated. They built out this, these, this, this ecosystem of information that Democrats and the mainstream media completely underestimated. Millions of people are being fed this in this loop, this pipeline of bullshit and propaganda over and over and over again. 
And that's what now with the internet and with other channels, you have this whole universe of BS and they are all coordinated, all coordinated. You see what Tucker says on his show or what Hannity says on his show or what Rush would say. And they, you know, they would get the talking points every day. And then you would hear members of Congress repeat it. Then they would go on these shows and they would repeat it or they would do their their pressers up on Capitol Hill and you hear the same language. There's something called the conference, which is that this is what Liz Cheney was kicked out of. The conference caucus on Capitol Hill is responsible for the messaging of the House Republicans. And it comes from the RNC. And, you know, there's all coordination with this. I was a political communications person. I was a comms director in Capitol Hill. I know how this all works. And they do coordinate. But those messages used to be about like policy. Like we're all going to talk about tax cuts should be 15 percent, you know, not perpetuating fucking crazy town conspiracy theories like the FBI was behind the insurrection. That is all part of the bait and switch so that they are not faced with the facts. Let's that's all conspiracy theories are about. It's to deflect, 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 deflect. And so then people, you know, that that's much more comfortable for them to believe than it was their their guy and their people that committed this violent act against the Capitol. It's it's nonsense. Um, as you know, talking about unindicted co-conspirators in these court filings, oh, they must be FBI agents. They can't be FBI agents. You cannot be an informant. Uh, you cannot be an FBI agent and be an unindicted co-conspirator. By by nature, by law, by what they do, they can't commit they can't commit crimes or engage in them. So it was absurd. But Tucker, just like Trump and their and those people, they prey on the poorly educated and the uninformed who don't know these differences. So they just go, yeah, that's right. Must be the feds. Yeah, it was them. And it's like, oh, my God, it's a really tangled web of dangerous lies. And then these people believe it. They think that they're fighting for their country when they engage in these acts that are extrajudicial. And how frustrating is it when you engage in a conversation with one of these misinformed? They are oh. so adamant that they know what they're talking about and you don't know shit. And you sit there and you say, let me let me say this to you. Was it or was it not Donald Trump who turned around and said to the crowd when he was speaking on January 6th, at the insurrection riot, I'll see you at the Capitol. Now, I, I didn't say it, and I know you, Tara, didn't say it, and I know Joe Biden or Kamala Harris didn't say it. Well, who did? Well, it was Donald himself. Don Jr. said it. Rudy Giuliani said it. Josh Pauley said it. So why are you turning around and stating that Trump didn't know what these people were going to do? No. Nope. That was dubbed in. You hear stupid responses from these people that make you go, hmm, what? Are you kidding me? Right? Yeah. What, what planet are you living on? Right? That it's a cult. You could make. It's a cult, Michael. It's, well, tell me that that's what my entire book, Disloyal, is about. It's that's the right. cult of Donald J. Trump. It's unbelievable. And, you know, my. I've been calling it a cult for many years. And, you know, like I, I mentioned on our show when you were on with us, I got into a um, a rather spirited debate with Meghan McCain on The View over my characterization of Trump supporters being a cult um, and uh, who turned out to be right about that. And, you know, and it's 
But I'm so I sorry. Listen. Did you ever? Did you ever get Megan McCain to apologize for her <laughs> inaccurate? Right for everybody else, Megan McCain, apology, apology, apology. But when she makes mistakes, as with many people in the media, they don't know what it is to apologize, and they refuse to because for some reason, well, that may hurt your ratings. And it's not about truth. It's not about reality. It's about their ratings and their you know their payday. For a lot of people, yes. And for, for others, they're just spoiled brats that have lived a life of privilege and have never had to deal with the real world and how real people react and, you know, apologizing and taking responsibility for their behavior because they're enabled. Ask Donald Trump, too. I mean, it's the same. It's the similar idea of entitlement and privilege and ego, which is for someone like me who comes from a blue collar family. I was raised by a single mother and you know, uh, I don't have that level of ego. So when I'm wrong, I'm, I'm, I can say I'm wrong. My whole life isn't going to be crushed if I'm called out on something and I'm wrong. You know, but a lot of people don't have those, those personality traits, unfortunately. And we see how they behave, particularly in public. Anyway, you know, just thinking about some of these, some of these people and, and how they react to this cult mentality. It's scary because I've, I've started to read books and people that, that are, that specialize in, in, in uh, deprogramming cultists, um, whether they're, they broke away from Scientology or the Moonies like Stephen Hass- um, Hassan. Uh, he's a very uh, educational guy on this too. He, he got a PhD. He, he broke out of the cult, got a PhD and is dedicated to his it, life. We've had him on this podcast. Okay, great. So then your listeners are familiar with him. And some of the things, the tactics that you use, it is literally like approaching someone who is in a death cult and how you get them out of it. It's, it's, it's frustrating. I've lost a lot of friends, a lot of people close to me who are just so far in it that they're unwilling to see that the sun actually rises in the east and sets in the west. They call, you know, I'm the asshole because I'm pointing out to them that for, for 30 years you you understood that the sun rises in the east and sets in the west. But I'm the asshole for pointing out that that's not the case anymore. I mean, you're saying that that's not the case. It's unbelievable. But that's what we're facing. And again, it's the power of propaganda, the power of repetition creating reality for these people. And I don't understand of all the people to follow in a cult that it would be Donald Trump. This, this this unkept buffoon. I don't get it. Yeah, I've always said Donald Trump has that ability to be a cult leader. When it comes to therapy and psychiatry, getting the help you need has never been so simple. When you're able to access your provider from the comfort of your device, it means therapy can be on your schedule. And alleviating the wait times to get an appointment or the travel time to an office can free up time for the rest of your life. Talkspace is so convenient and accessible, it helps me feel supported around the clock. Talkspace lets you send and receive unlimited messages with your dedicated therapist in the Talkspace platform 24-7. With Talkspace, you set goals with your therapist and they hold you accountable and make sure you're really progressing. Therapy can help you shift your perspective, find tools to cope in difficult times, and be a guiding light. Talkspace is a fraction of the cost of in-person therapy. Instead of waiting for an appointment, you can send unlimited messages to your therapist 24-7, and they'll engage with you daily, five days a week. Plus, Talkspace has thousands of licensed therapists with years of experience in over 40 specialties, including depression, anxiety, substance abuse, trauma, anger management, relationship issues, food and eating, and so much more. 
Finally, Talkspace is secure and private, using the latest end-to-end bank rate encryption technology to store client information and complying with the latest HIPAA regulations. As a listener of this podcast, you'll get $100 off your first month with Talkspace. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com. Make sure to use the code COWIN to get $100 off your first month and show your support for the show. That's Cohen and Talkspace.com. Obviously, one thing that we'll both acknowledge is that words have consequences. And we saw, we saw ourselves how Trump's big election lie created the preconditions for what happened on January 6th. I don't think anybody, at least listening to this show, would deny that. Now, with this new effort to whitewash the record of what happened, combine this with idiocy around Trump being reinstated in August, (laughs) do you worry that we're once again creating the preconditions for these groups to once again attack? Oh, for sure. And unless we continue to push back against it, and people who are in power, who have platforms, who are that have the, the levers of government at their disposal, unless they continue to push back against this, absolutely it's a predicate for the next the next possible violent attack. They they have to get to the bottom of how the first one happened. They need to make sure that the, some of those failures are uh, fixed, and they have to point it out. You know, there's a fine line between giving it oxygen and you know, being informative and, you know, folks have to figure out what that balance is. But as we might sit here and laugh and go, Donald Trump's going to be reinstated in August. Like the Supreme Court's not even in session in August and neither is Congress. So if people are going to come and storm the Capitol, it's going to be empty. Kind of like the scene at the end of the vacation, National Lampoon's vacation, when they get to Wally World, there's no cars in the parking lot. And they're like, oh, (laughs) this is great. That's what they're going to see here in Washington in August if they think that they're going to be storming anything or demanding anything. Congress goes on vacation for a month. So (laughs) these dumbasses don't even know the congressional calendar. You have to, the, even though it's absurd, but there are millions of people who are buying into this. We cannot dismiss that. We just can't dismiss it. You right. have it's to call not, it out. It's not thousands. It's millions. Right. When they it's say, millions. when I said that 60% of the GOP still believes, or 40% of the GOP believes that Donald Trump will be reinstated as president in August, you're right. The only thing they're going to get met um, by in August is going to be a whole bunch of cicadas. But short of that, you know, there's <laughs> nobody there. right? And a lot of humidity. <laughs> I love Washington. But look, Tara, you speak with a ton of folk who are incredibly attuned to what's happening on the ground within this far-right universe. Now, last week, you retweeted a really frightening thread from Scott McFarlane, who illustrated just how serious problem we have with the case of Russell Taylor, who traveled from California with a group of armed and trained insurrectionists. What can you tell my listeners about Russell and what else is lurking out there on the horizon that could potentially strike again if these people are not brought to justice? Yeah, that case speaks to what we discussed as as far as the uh, bringing, bringing arms to D.C., the coordination between these violent groups. Russell uh, was, was, coordinating with another group on telegram um and they were using these encrypted apps to communicate um there was uh well what they suspect was a quick quick reaction force that was being gathered outside dc city limits that was waiting to be activated uh, waiting for donald trump basically to activate them 
There are uh, screenshots and examples of communications between him and others in this group um, talking about the propensity for violence. And they were ready. They were ready for it. That that's what they were called to do, basically. This is just one example. This is just one case. There are dozens upon dozens, whether it's Proud Boys, the Oath Keepers, the Three Percenters. There are a lot of these these domestic terrorist groups that were coordinating with one another using military style tactics and communications and formations. Because a lot of these guys, unfortunately, um, are either ex-military or ex-law enforcement or they're wannabes and they live for this. And they're the most dangerous type because they deluded themselves into believing this is the patriot, their patriotic duty. And if you look at some of the communications which are available publicly now because of the court filings, you'll see this. So it's really important that the Department of Justice and the respective law enforcement agencies like the FBI continue to infiltrate these groups and take them down. They have to approach them like domestic terrorist cells because that's what these guys are. They are domestic terrorists. And this is a warning that, that this has been percolating for many years. And when the Obama administration tried to put that warning out in 2009, Republicans and, and conservatives had uh, threw a hissy fit because they said it was just a way for the left to try to infringe on people's First, First and Second Amendment rights. Well, we see that that was not true. And when attention was not paid to some of these groups and what they were doing, it culminated with what happened on January 6th. So if we don't take these groups down, we saw what happened in Michigan. Thank God the feds were able to stop that with that kidnapped and assassination attempt against Gretchen Whitmer. Why? Because she took the action of, you know, shutting down, um, uh, you know, putting the, the state on lockdown to, to protect people from COVID. Like, this is insane. Like, we saw Donald Trump laying the foundation with these things, pitting Americans against each other. And what happened? You know, it, it turned into the feds having to do their job. So now that we have a, a more honest Justice Department, we have adults in the room that can make these decisions and are not going to try and interfere and try to cover for a corrupt, immoral president. They need to continue to do their due diligence and take these domestic terrorist organizations down. And yet, as I said to you before, my biggest fear is that a Donald Trump 2.0 will end up emerging from this, somebody who now has seen what what a failed attempt looks like, and they will now be able to use that as the predicate, like a Ron DeSantis. But, you know, as we're, as we're now... We just want a straw poll, by the way. Just I just want a straw poll, which is, which is crazy. He's, an, he's another. This guy, what do they see in this guy down there in Florida? What another jerk-off? I, I, I just don't get these people. What charisma do they think he has? But people like him. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I don't know the answer either. But, you know, as we wind down the hour, I have just one last question for you. And switching gears for a moment, what I want to talk to you about is the bigger picture for the GOP's future. I mean, Donald Trump managed to infect and remake the party in his image literally almost overnight, mainly on the basis of his ability to turn out the base in record numbers. Because, say what you want. That's exactly what he did. Now, in less than four years... He managed to basically wreck an entire political system and corrode democracy in the process. My question is, how long will this take to fix? When will the fever break that, was infe- that has basically infected the GOP and caused them to cling to Trump? Or is this just 
you know, the beginning, will we forever be stuck with a permanent minority of violent far-right actors within our government? And if so, will we see a new party emerge in the United States from this two-party system that we have into something more akin um, to what they have in, say, the UK with multiple parties within their system all vying for control? So not an easy answer to any of those questions, but, um, you know, will we, not if I can help it and not if many like-minded people like myself, and there are lots of us out there, if we have anything to say about it, um, we are not going to allow the malignancy of Trumpism to completely destroy our political system. But that takes work. Democracies only work when the guardrails and institutions that are put in place are respected and there's trust. Uh, in uh, of those institutions what donald trump did and why he was successful in in wrecking a lot of these norms and institutions was that people underestimated again how fragile our democracy is when guardrails are not respected it takes people who are willing to put their foot down and say enough no you know bill buckley who was a conservative Stalwart, who, you know, um, was very influential in, in, in my conservative development. He used to say that conservatives, part of their role was to yell, stop athwart history when no one else would. That's what those of us now are doing and have been doing for years. When we saw what Donald Trump was doing, what the Republican Party was becoming, we've been yelling, stop. And now more and more people are waking up and realizing that you have to get involved because there are more of us than them. And unless you have more of you being uh, more more active folks who are informed and who are not going to put up with this involved in the system, if you don't have that, it can be taken over by the insurgency, which is basically what Donald Trump was. He was an insurgent that came in and was able to capitalize on some of the fears and fractures culturally within our country and turn them into an army of uh, an army of insurrectionists at this point but just an army of people who were grievance mongers and who felt that they felt they finally had someone that listened to them he was their beacon and now if they admit that he was flawed or they admit that he was a racist and a liar and incompetent and ignorant then they, what does that say about them a lot of these people are so dug in because they don't want to admit that they were attracted to that because of their own infallibility. So that makes it even more difficult for people to step away from it because it requires self-examination, which we know is not easy in human nature. So what do we do? Will there be a new party? The only response to people in power is to make sure they don't have power anymore. That's the only way. Republicans, a lot of these Republican, you know, establishment guys, they know that Donald Trump is a menace. They know he's an ignoramus. They know that this is against everything they claim to believe, against every principle they ever swore an oath to. But their desire to be in power supersedes all of it. And until they are, they pay a price, it's like anything in human nature. You don't change until you pay enough of a price. Until that happens at the ballot box, we're going to have this. And if Republicans continue to go down this path, they're going to go the way of the Whigs and they will be a permanent major, uh, minority for a generation. Can that be reversed? Yes, but it takes a lot of money, organization, 
and people willing to stand up. You cannot be bullied into silence. That's what the other side wants. That's what authoritarians want. That's what they thrive on when the good people are bullied into silence and they feel helpless. Well, not in America. Damn it, this is still America and right still matters. As that hero Alexander Vindman, Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman said during Trump's first impeachment trial, he's right. This is America. Right still matters. So as long as we have more people who take that stance and are vocal and active, then there's a chance to turn this around. But it's not going to happen overnight. And will there be another party? Perhaps. I mean, our system is designed to kind of um, not to be a multi-party system, right? We're not Europe. We don't have a a, a parliamentary system. Um, but if Republicans continue to behave this way and we have a major party that is illogical and they don't negotiate in good faith, then sure, there's going to have to be something else in place. There are former Republicans out there. My good friends, Evan McMullen and Miles Taylor, are leading the, the charge for a center-right alliance called the Renew America Initiative, where they're looking at giving people who are right of center that don't feel comfortable in the Republican Party anymore somewhere to go because they're not Democrats. But the, but, but the way you vote in our systems in, in states varies. It's not, we don't have one uniform election system. So some states you have to register for a party, some states you don't. It matters by each state. So people have to make those decisions. But if it becomes, you know, we have to start a new party, then maybe that's the case. It just makes it really, really hard to do. It'll be very tough. Yeah. And it's, it's actually why I continue to provide info to the various investigations that are going. So I can just promise you this, that I, along with you, Tara, uh, will do what I can as part of my redemption, as part of my making amends to the American people for unleashing Frankenstein's monster on this country and on the world. And for that, and with that, I should say, uh, I want to thank you for your time, for your insight. Please uh, keep up the good fight, as will I. And I'm sure you and I will be speaking again and again and again. So thank you again, Tara. <laughs> thank you, Michael. I look forward to it. I'm glad you're on our side now. And to quote uh, Abraham Lincoln, you know, our, our democracy is worth fighting for because we want our government to be of the people, for the people, by the people. We don't want that to perish from the earth. And that's why we do what we do. So glad to be amen. on the same side with you, my friend. And amen to that. Thanks, Tara. And now for today's mea culpa. Over the past few days, I have been poring over accounts of Trump and his DOJ as they tried to bully, silence, and ultimately intimidate his critics and opponents. None of it should come as a surprise to anyone who knows Trump. First off, this is a man who has the world's thinnest skin. He is famous for his inability to take a joke and cannot stand the idea that people are laughing at him or mocking him. The Trump myth only works if you buy into the fallacy that he is the infallible, strong leader who is impervious to the taunts of the crowd. Instead, we get reports of a tantrum-throwing baby, unable to stand even a moment's criticism. As a private citizen, he would remedy such matters by suing the offending party whether or not he had the grounds for such a suit. It didn't matter. We used the courts as a weapon and forced those who wronged Trump to feel as much pain as possible. He brought that same mentality into the White House and presided over an orgy of deceit whose abuse of power rivals anyone who inhabited the presidency. We're now seeing the fruits of his evil doings and the list of folks who enabled Trump in the most baseless and ugly pursuits is itself stunning. 
from Bill Barr's weaponization of the DOJ to Mark Meadows' fucking attempts to pressure his successor to investigate insane Italian conspiracy theories about the U.S. election, the trail of lies, deceit, corruption, and general insanity is fucking breathtaking. The question remains, who is going to be held accountable? We have an insurgent, GOP determined to sweep the past four years under the world's biggest rug as they continue to erode our most basic rights, all of it enabled and engendered from Trump's lies about the election. Where we go from here is entirely up to the Democratic Party. Do we fight like hell, abolish the filibuster, and go for the jugular? Or do we just roll over and die while crying into our pillows that it's unfair? Well, of course it's unfair. It has always been unfair. Trump plays a rigged game, and the GOP is following suit. There is only one remedy, and that's to fight fire with fire and force the GOP off the fucking cliff. No more accommodations, no more reconciliations, reaching across the aisle or other dead remnants of a two-party system that no longer exists. Now is the time to wrestle back control and turn the tide away from the GOP. And thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. And it's written and produced by Jimmy Jelinek. Executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, myself, Michael Cohen, and Phil Alberstadt. Our editor is Lisa Orkin. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is winning the war on the state and local level. Maya Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Maya Culpa. Nothing but the truth. Hey, movie lovers. Who needs a theater when you have Pluto TV? Grab your popcorn and your streaming device because free movies are here. Pluto TV is your home for movies. Great movies are playing anytime in over 20 exclusive movie channels of action, horror, rom-coms, and more. Watch hits like Saving Private Ryan, Pretty in Pink, and Charlie's Angels all for free. No signups, no fees, no contracts. Ever. Download the free Pluto TV app on any device. (laughs) 